Coming up on Studios America, Jorge Ventura exposes a terrifying cartel secret in California. A new poll shows most people dislike cancel culture, so we should give it like an hour before the poll itself is canceled on Twitter. And I've never seen a public trial go south so quickly for a prosecuting team. Let's check in with the latest as we do. Kyle Rittenhouse. Stu does America. You know, some things just are, they blow my mind. Sometimes I can't even believe what's going on. Today, uh, in the news, I, I guess, is the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. And it's a trial that should not be even going on. We'll get into why here in a second. At this point, I think if the prosecution gave him the gloves he was wearing and they were way too small and didn't fit on his hands, I would not be surprised. I've never seen a, a, a worse effort at trying to prosecute someone than we're seeing in Kyle, in Kyle Rittenhouse's case. And honestly, I can't blame the prosecution that much. They have nothing to work with because this is not a story. It should not be a trial at all. And we'll talk about that here coming up. I want to get into some of the clips from the trial. But before that, I kind of want to take ourselves back to August of 2020 and go through the sort of second by second of what actually went on here. Now, if you remember, we're in the middle of the Kenosha riots. Kyle Rittenhouse, they always like to say, goes across state lines, you know, means a 20 minute drive to his friend's house. You know, it's like across state lines. Uh, they want to make it seem like he went across the country to as a white supremacist to go kill black people. And he's terrible at killing black people because he seems to only shoot white people. I don't know what's wrong with this guy. So he shows up. He's uh, he's there in his words to help defend this business, which does seem to check out from all reporting. That's why he was there. He has some medical supplies to help out if anything goes wrong. And he has a weapon. Now, the weapon is a whole other situation. He may very well get in trouble for having the weapon as he was 17 and you're not supposed to have one until he's 18. There's some disagreement as to whether that's going to apply to him or not, but it's very possible he could get into some trouble for that. But that's a small part of this story, obviously, when three people are shot. The first of those was a guy who charged after Kyle Rittenhouse. It's on video. Uh, we've showed it to you before. Uh, he uh, Another gunshot goes off. He isn't sure who's shooting it. I think he thinks it's the guy who's chasing him and about to hit him with a bag. Uh, he obviously does shoot that guy. He winds up dying. And then he runs down the street. And so there's some video on that first incident, uh, enough to show that the story that the witnesses are telling, and we'll get into some of that here in a little bit, uh, and what Kyle Rittenhouse said happened, uh, checks out. You can see pretty much the incident, though at times it's a little more difficult. There's a lot more video on the second series of incidents. So Rittenhouse winds up shooting uh, this one uh, guy and then runs down the street toward police. Now, usually people who murder people uh, out of spite or racism um, don't usually run directly to the police. That's not how that goes down uh, normally. But Rittenhouse, who is a big fan of the police, uh, decides to kind of jog down the street after them. Obviously, there's a lot of chaos in this situation. And it's, you know, it's, it's a disturbing scene, obviously. Someone has just been shot. He will later wind up dying. So he's running down the street, and the people around them don't know what's going on. Some of them may be, uh, you know, on the other side of Kyle Rittenhouse and just want him taken down for other reasons. They didn't like the people that came into the community to defend these businesses. 
It's so hard to burn down a business when there's people with guns out in front of it. It's like, I, I mean, where, what, where are we as a country if you just can't burn down the buildings you want to burn down? So he's running down the street. Some people are chasing him. Some people don't know what's happened. Some people might think that he just, you know, inexplicably just started murdering people. So they're chasing him down. I want to take you through this kind of frame by frame here. Now, as you see, I'll do my best here for podcast listeners to describe what we're seeing. Uh, As he's running down the street, you see Kyle Rittenhouse and you see people surrounding him. One here in particular in this still pointing him, uh, pointing him out as the actual shooter. This begins sort of a chaotic reaction around Rittenhouse as people are following and they're chasing after him. Next one here, you see a, uh, a man approaching from behind uh, Rittenhouse as he's trying to run away. And then you see the man sort of wind up for a punch, uh, going to hit Rittenhouse in the back of the head. Now, Rittenhouse kind of sees this guy behind him, but is not actually watching him as we as we go. This is where this guy behind him takes a swing at Rittenhouse and hits him in the back of the head as Rittenhouse is walking away. Now you see but quite clearly in the video, Rittenhouse is running ahead of the pack and another man approaches with a skateboard in his hand. Um, it kind of gets behind another person in the video, but he eventually hits him with the skateboard, it, it appears. And then Kyle Rittenhouse falls down. Now Rittenhouse falls down onto his butt and his back, basically. He's, he's falling over backwards. He's on the ground. And a man approaches to attack Rittenhouse. And this is really important. It's a really important part of this. He comes up to Rittenhouse and he stops when he sees Rittenhouse take out the gun. Now, that's a pretty normal reaction. However, if Rittenhouse is this, you know, vicious murderer who's just trying to shoot people in the street, obviously this guy was about to attack him. It would be very easy for him to pull the trigger there. However, he does not. This guy comes up and because he backs off and does not attack Rittenhouse, Rittenhouse does not fire against him. Now, another guy who has the brilliant idea of approaching Rittenhouse as well. The gun's already out. Uh, At this point, what you're supposed to do is run away. But this guy decides he's going to approach and attack Rittenhouse himself and starts to approach. As he does, he jumps in the air to basically jump kick him. Uh, And this is, again, all on video. He leaps into the air to kick Rittenhouse while Rittenhouse is on his back. You can see Rittenhouse still laying down on the ground there. And then if you see on the left side of the screen, Anthony Huber charges at Rittenhouse with a skateboard. This would be a really fateful and terrible decision for Anthony Huber. Now, as we advance a few frames here, you can see now uh, the man who jump kicked Rittenhouse fell to the ground, got up and ran away. Very good decision at that point. Rittenhouse still laying on the ground, and this is just, again, a terrible decision. He, at first, Anthony Huber tries to come in with the skateboard and hit him. And he then uh, is holding the skateboard in his right hand and tries to grab seemingly the, the, the barrel of the gun with his left hand, uh, trying to take away the gun of a man who's lying on his back in the middle of a chaotic riot. This is a decision he would absolutely regret. Um, And this is just a a split second before Rittenhouse does fire his weapon. Um, Look, if you're in a chaotic situation like that, put yourself in the situation of Kyle Rittenhouse here for a second. You're lying on your back in the middle of a riot. There's chaos around you. You have previously been attacked by three different people in the last 10 seconds. 
Here's the fourth guy coming with a skateboard, seems to try to hit you with a skateboard, sorts of, sort of drops it, picks it up with his right hand as he's running by, takes your gun. What do you think is going to happen to you? If this group of people that have already attacked you get control of your weapon, what happens to you? You are on the other side of this trial. You are the dead person everyone's talking about. And Kyle Rittenhouse, even in a chaotic moment like that, of course knows that's the risk here. He does fire his weapon uh, and, of course, hits Huber. Um, and it's not pretty. Next, uh, next frame here. As you can see, Huber sort of is now is starting to pass. And you see uh, Gage Grosskreutz. He's the next guy. He approaches with his gun. Now, this at the time was not talked about at all by the mainstream media, but look at what we're talking about here, and, and I'll describe it for podcast listeners. Rittenhouse, still flat on his back. Huber has now been shot, and he is, uh, but he still has his hands sort of on the gun or near it. And uh, Grosskreutz approaches. He has his weapon drawn, okay? He is looking, and his testimony would disagree with this, but he's looking to, uh, to do something here, either to scare Rittenhouse or to kill him himself. And clearly that's the, what you would think in this moment. As this goes on, Huber then stumbles away. Uh, he is now out of the picture, uh, gravely injured. Rittenhouse is now sitting up with his gun. Now, when Rittenhouse points his gun at Grosskreutz, this is another really important part of what happens here. Grosskreutz puts his hands up. He decides he's not going to shoot Rittenhouse at that moment. Puts his hands up. What does Rittenhouse do? Again, a a vicious, lustful murderer pulls the trigger on this guy. He's holding a gun. He probably gets away with it, even if it's on video. However, he pulls uh, Rittenhouse pulls his gun up. Grosskreutz backs off and puts his hands up. So Rittenhouse does not fire his weapon at Grosskreutz at this point. However, seconds later, as Huber has collapsed now in the street and is seconds away from uh, passing away, Rittenhouse has lowered his gun as Grosskreutz had backed off. However, Grosskreutz then suddenly moves to his right in an attempt to either attack Rittenhouse or grab his gun away from him. When he makes that incredibly erratic movement after already being in a standoff with Rittenhouse, as he moves to his right, Grosskreutz uh, then is uh, seen by Rittenhouse as attacking him, and Rittenhouse fires on Grosskreutz, um, hitting him in the arm and pretty much disintegrating his bicep. Um, that is the end of the firing, at least on Kyle Rittenhouse's part. As Rittenhouse turns, he walks and jogs to surrender to police. Again, an action, and not the type of action of someone who is a, you know, some sort of mass murderer. Um, but as he's walking away, you hear in the background, over a dozen shots are being fired and uh, sh tossed around all over the surrounding areas. This was a chaotic, mad scene. Anyone who watches this video can have certain questions. You can say, why is a 17-year-old down there? Why is he doing that? Why would you have a 17-year-old down there with a gun trying to defend a business? And that's a legitimate question. I certainly wouldn't want my son at 17 years old down there doing that. But you can also say, hey, he shouldn't have had the gun at all. I mean, it's a, it's a violation. However, when you're talking about whether this is murder, whether this is some sort of, uh, of, of terrible homicide uh, um, that is uh, a crime, 
on Kyle Rittenhouse. You watch the video of these incidents and it's clear the man was in or the kid was in the midst of being attacked. He was being attacked by a swarm of adults, some of which seem to be on some sort of substances, having all sorts of mental issues, uh, particularly with the first uh, person he wind up shooting. People who were not acting as if they were uh, looking out for Kyle's well-being. Kyle Rittenhouse did fire his weapon in that situation, and, and no one's happy about the results, I'm sure, including uh, maybe most prominently Kyle Rittenhouse. But this clearly is self-defense. Clearly. It's, to me, crazy to even argue the other side of this. And when you look at what is going on in the trial itself, you realize the other side of it doesn't really seem to exist. Let me give you a couple of clips. This is uh, Richie McGinnis. He's one of the uh, witnesses as to what went down. This is about the first shooting um, uh, of uh, Rosenbaum. Uh, listen to this clip again from the trial. I mean, you have no idea what Mr. Rosenbaum was ever thinking at any point in his life. You have never been inside his head. You never met him before. You don't know. I've, I've never even, I've never exchanged words with him, if that's what your question is. So your interpretation of what he was trying to do or what he was intending to do or anything along those lines is complete guesswork, isn't it? Um, well, he said, F you, and then he reached for the weapon. <laughs> you know, I, I am not a mind reader here, but I think I could guess the intent of a person who says F you, chases someone and then reaches for his weapon. That's not someone who's looking to make new friends. Let's put it that way. Uh, here's Ryan Fouch. He's another uh, witness of that first shooting. Watch. When I turned around, Rosenbaum was right there in front of my face, yelling and screaming. And I would say, dude, back up. Just chill. I don't know what your problem is. And he goes, you know what? If I catch any of you guys alone tonight, I'm going to kill you. And he said that to you? Correct. Did he say that to the defendant as well? The defendant was there, so yes. Hmm. How could we guess his intent? I don't know. It seems to be a mystery. Could it possibly be that he was going to kill them when he said if he got them alone, he was going to kill them? This is a difficult one to read. I don't know if you guys can get in this guy's brain or not. And to be honest about it, those are, re those are devastating moment moments in a trial. I mean, just those two are overwhelming, but that was not the worst of it. Let me give you this clip, and I wanted to pull the extended one because it is one of the most devastating moments you're ever going to see in a trial like this. Uh, this is, uh, this is, this is Grosskreutz. This is one of the guys who actually was shot by Kyle Rittenhouse, obviously the star witness of the trial. If this guy's going to prison, you gotta believe the guy who he actually shot is gonna be uh, a, an asset for the prosecution. Watch this and tell me if he's an asset. That's a photo of you, yes? Yes. Okay, um, that's Mr. Rittenhouse? Correct. Okay, now, you'd agree your firearm is pointed at Mr. Rittenhouse, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh-oh. And once your firearm is pointed at Mr. Rittenhouse, that's when he fires his gun. Yes? No. No. Sir, look, I don't want to... Does this look like right now your arm is being shot? That looks like my 
bicep being vaporized, yes. Okay. And it's being vaporized as you're pointing your gun directly at him. Yes? Yes. Okay, so when you were standing three to five feet from him with your arms up in the air, he never fired, right? Correct. It wasn't until you pointed your gun at him, advanced on him, with your gun, now your hands down, pointed at him, that he fired, right? Correct. Uh-oh. <laughs> so he fired at you after you pointed your gun at him. And when you didn't point your gun at him, he didn't fire, right? Right. If you are the prosecution, you just want to put your hands right over your face and sulk. And that is exactly what the prosecution did in that moment. As you see, this happened. This is a picture of right after uh, that testimony you just heard. And this is the prosecution with hand uh, covering face in a what I would call uh, basically a chemical depression at that point. Uh, he's, he's been thrown into deep depression as the work over his last year to, by the way, put someone in prison who who's 17 or 18 years old and completely, completely innocent of these sort of intentional murder type charges they're trying to pin on this kid. Look, you can say there's lots of mistakes made. Yes, of course, you can say that. And there's lots of things that happened in this situation that you wouldn't want Maybe your kid or your, your grandkid or your brother to be involved in. Obviously, this is all true. Getting the hell away from that area would be my number one priority. But we've seen, and we have a reporter on later uh, in, in the show today, we need people who are going into these areas. Our own Elijah Schaefer was there that night as well. And if he wasn't, and if other people like the people, the witnesses you just saw or heard uh, weren't there, this kid would be going to prison for the rest of his life. If there weren't actually brave people, unlike me, people with actual bravery to go into these situations and actually document this stuff, we would never know. We would never know. Now, will Kyle Rittenhouse get acquitted here? I think so, at least from the most serious charges. I think this has gone so badly for the prosecution. And there was never a case here. So I think he will be acquitted. But I'll tell you this, that's not enough. That is not enough here. You've put this kid through an entire year plus of, uh, of, of calling him a white supremacist in the media, in vilifying him, of calling him a murderer, of saying he shouldn't be able to be out in the streets free. He was in prison. He was in jail for months. All of that is completely inappropriate. There should not even be a trial for this incident. This incident should have been, let's watch the video, holy crap, Let's get a couple interviews. Yeah, it looks like it was self-defense. Hey, kid, try not to do that again. Okay, please don't go out there next time. Now, the gun thing is another situation. They might be able to ding him there, but I mean, I don't know what you're going to get more than time served for that. A, for a, a minor with a first offense. This is completely absurd. And this is what happens, America, when you let Twitter run your justice system. When you decide, hey, you know what, instead of investigating crimes, what if we see what has the, which which tweet has the most likes? When you start doing business that way and you start trying to form a legal system using social networks as your fuel, you end up with disasters like this. Just because there's a, a comedian says something or a documentary comes out and says X or Y person is bad. 
doesn't mean we break all of our rules to throw them in prison. And just because everybody on MSNBC is tweeting about Kyle Rittenhouse and saying what a white supremacist he is for killing white people, you don't throw him in prison either. You don't put him through a year of this when everyone knows what the right outcome is. Anybody who watched these videos, you do not have to be a criminologist to figure this out. But this sham of a legal system fueled by, I don't know, TikTok is now forming who we prosecute and who we don't. And that has to stop. So when you're running a business, HR issues, if you know anything about this stuff, they can absolutely obliterate you because you can't even think about your actual job and what your company is supposed to be doing. You can have these wrongful termination suits. You can have minimum wage requirements dealing with the government on labor regulations. And then, you know, if you get someone who's an HR manager, if you find a good one, which is hard, you're going to be paying them, you know, $70,000 a year at least. Bambi is here to help. B-A-M-B-E-E. That's how it's spelled. Uh, They were created specifically for small businesses. Uh, Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. And what's really cool about Bambi is you're not bouncing around to 100 different people. You have someone who's there for you, who knows your company, who works with you, and they can help you with onboarding, uh, terminations. They can customize your policies to fit your business. They can help you manage your employees day to day. And the cost is insane, $99 a month, $99 a month. You can go month to month, no hidden fees. You can cancel any time. Go to Bambi.com slash stew right now to schedule your free HR audit. B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash stew. Don't forget the slash stew part of the address because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Bambi.com slash stew. I'm happy to welcome to the studio Jorge Ventura. He's a field reporter for The Daily Caller and just released his documentary Cartelville USA, which you can watch right now at carteldoc.com. Be sure to check it out. Jorge, thanks for stopping in. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Excited. Let me give you the audience a little taste of this thing um, that you have the trailer out now. The documentary is out for people to see. It's it's honestly terrifying. Check it out. These marijuana grows are either connected to Mexican cartels or high-level criminal organizations that also have used human trafficking as they've used workers to work these girls. On this girl, there are five Chinese nationals that were working this girl that are undocumented, don't speak any English, and are most likely were human trafficked here into the United States to work on these illegal grow ups. Their whole purpose to come here was just to tend for the grow, and then it helps cover their costs for whoever brought them over. Mexican cartel-related operations that have exploded in the Antelope Valley. It doesn't stop. We're 300 miles away from the border, and we have one of the largest illegal drug operations happening in the backyard in the high deserts of Los Angeles. It's accelerating to the degree that we were just... This looks like a video game. This isn't a video game. This is real. Those are assault weapons. I mean, they are way ahead of us. We can't seem to get one step ahead of them. This is the cartels. We are very, very close to driving down the freeway and seeing bodies hanging from the overpasses. That is what's coming. 
This is terrifying. And if you've watched what's going on going on on the border here over the past, uh, you know, 10 months or so, uh, I mean, I don't know how you think it's going to come out in a positive direction. Jorge, man, you went down there. You've been there. You've seen all this happen. What was it like? What's the day to day like for people on the border right now? So right now, it's just complete madness. Border Patrol cannot keep up with the apprehensions. So July and August were the first months back-to-back in Border Patrol history. They had over 200,000 apprehensions. Now, the scary thing is not the number, but the number of gotaways. So the gotaways (laughs) is actually higher because these are the migrants that they don't apprehend, we don't detect, and most likely do have criminal history because they don't want to be apprehended by Border Patrol. So the Border Patrol is doing the best they can to, to, to manage the situation, but it just seems like they're so overwhelmed. Yeah, I think one of the things people don't think about when they think of the border and they see these numbers, the high number of apprehensions, is that most of those people who are caught, or at least a lot of them, are intentionally getting caught. Like they're walking, they're coming over the border and then turning themselves over to Border Patrol because they want to make a claim for asylum or whatever else. This is, uh, you know, who God only knows how many people are getting away that we don't we don't know about. And that, that, that's a scary figure. So when I speak to sources, Border Patrol, they, they're worried that the gotaway number is extremely high. It's, a, it's rough to get an, an, an estimation. And this really all just started when the Biden administration came in on day one through executive order, removed the remain in Mexico policy. So now if you're, you know, if you're a migrant, you know, under Trump, it's like, well, why would I pay the cartels and, and put my life in danger only be to, to be told to remain in Mexico for my asylum here? Without that it literally let open the, the, the floodgates, and that's why we see these record number of apprehensions. And it, one of the more, I think, fascinating things is when you're down there, these migrants are looking for Border Patrol. They're not trying to invade them. They want, actually want to be apprehended because they know they're going to get released into the United States. That is, that's fascinating how that's, that happens. So you go into the cartel stuff here, and I think I, I look at like uh, the situation in Mexico, and we've seen this over and over again with politicians in Mexico. They'll, they'll say, I'm going to run against the cartels. We're going to put a stop to this. And, you know, three months later, they're just shot in a back alley somewhere and it's over. And then a new person comes in and then they're shot three months later. And there's, there's this so this is so, sort of a weird, like, comfort we find in America, thinking that that's on the other side of the border. That's over there. That's that, you know, that's really bad, but that's over there. But there's no reason to believe it's going to stay over there, especially with the policies we have now. Exactly. So in this documentary, Cartelville USA, we really want to focus on just the issue that these cartels are now living in our in our backyards and are operating in, in the wide open. Mm-hmm. And all of our policies have emboldened the bad guys. So a, a tactic that we picked up down there at the border is what these cartels do is they'll bring in 200, 300 um, migrants and put them on, let's say, in, in Del Rio or in a McAllen. And what they do is they do this because they want to overwhelm Border Patrol. So when Border Patrol runs into these caravans, they have to separate the minors from the adults. They have to call in process and they have to call in vans. And what this does is it leaves the border even more open than it is. One Border Patrol source told us that the fentanyl that has come into the country just between last year and this year has already increased by 600% because they can't stop these drugs because they're dealing with all these humans that just continue uh, to, to come in. And like I said, record number apprehensions and it's just, to me, it's alarming that the Biden administration has no urgency to solve this issue. They don't. In fact, they, they seem to want the opposite. You know, there's this idea that they were having these huge issues at the border earlier on in the presidency when the media sort of picked up for that for about two weeks. They actually made that into a story. Um, and, you know, the situation has continued. They're just not covering it anymore. Um, but there's an idea that, OK, they don't obviously they want a different outcome when it comes to illegals coming across the border, the Biden administration. They want more illegals here than, than, than Trump did. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, but they didn't necessarily want the public relations disaster of, of, of what's happened on the border. I mean, he's at 
what, 26, 27 percent approval on the border. It's his worst category. It's behind even Afghanistan. I mean, it is. This is a real crisis politically for the administration as well. It is. And where Biden really took a hit is when those 12,000, 15,000 Haitians came in late September because the Mm. optics just look bad because he started to deport the single (laughs) males. So the left was mad because he was doing this uh, via Title 42, which is a Trump policy. So he was losing on the left and then he was losing (laughs) on the right. So optics is it's looking bad. Vice President Kamala Harris, the border czar who has yet to actually go to the border. I mean, she literally stopped by at the the airport uh, hangar. I'm like, come and see what, what's, what's going on with these children, um, the women that we meet who have been sexually assaulted on the way to the border, the unaccompanied minors that we encounter. It's, a, it's sad. And, you know, the left and the Democratic Party, the establishment, they pride themselves on, oh, well, we're here for black and brown people. Well, the border crisis, it's affecting black and brown people, but they're nowhere to be found. Like, and like I said, just no urgency from the administration. I mean, they don't even address the issue. They asked uh, a reporter, asked uh, White, uh, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, when's the last time Biden's been to the border? She says, well, he drove by in 08. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's plenty. What else is he supposed to do? Don't be so demanding. Um, so we know that across the border, it's really ugly. I mean, it's terrible. They can't control it in Mexico. Even when they put effort into it, they can't control it. The border is in shambles right now. How does this start seeping into, you know, further inland to areas that are not used to dealing with a border crisis ongoing? Exactly. So when I was at the border, um, actually, I met Congressman Mike Garcia. So he's a Republican, represents District 25 back in North L.A. County. And what was interesting about Mr. Garcia was that he was a first representative from California and South Texas at the border. So I just asked Congressman, hey, Mr. Congressman, like, how come you're out here? You're like, you're like the first representative that I've seen from California come. He says, what's happening here at the border is impacting my district, which is 300 miles away. Wow. And I said, "What you know? What do you mean? Can you elaborate?" He said, "We have a huge Mexican drug cartel human uh, smuggling crisis happening, and this is all happening through the illegal marijuana operation." So the thing is, is when you talk about illegal marijuana, people just shrug their shoulders because they're like, "Oh, well, it's just Cheech and Chong out there smoking yeah. Paulus and Bob Marley," yeah. <laughs> but they have no idea this kind of criminal element, the human trafficking, labor trafficking, the violence. And so in LA, L.A. County right now, they have over 500 illegal marijuana operations. And this is happening with Mexican drug cartels, the Chinese mafia and Armenian crime organizations. And they're smuggling migrants from the border. So this this problem starts at the border and they're smuggling these migrants, forcing them to work these illegal grows and arming the migrants because they're actually getting into uh, a gunfire fights with other cartels in the desert. And the sad part about it is the people who are stuck in the middle of it are just regular working class citizens that did not ask for this. Mm. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about the effect of the changing policy in the United States, for what, especially as it relates to marijuana. There's been this push for a long time for it to be legalized, and it is, and, you know, sort of. I mean, it's not federally legal, but it's legal in a bunch of states. It's legal in a bunch of cities. People are are consuming this through normal brick-and-mortar stores mm-hmm. now. Does that help the border situation, or does it hurt? I would say right now it's definitely hurting. So in, in, mm. in California, Prop 64, it passed in 2016. So what Prop 64 did is it legalized cannabis statewide, but it made illegal cultivation, which used to be a felony in California, downgraded to a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. So this kind of, you know, let open the floodgates to this black market marijuana business where these cartels said, hey, um, we could come in and then not only uh, instead of bringing in fentanyl and stuff from, from the southern border, which they, they still do, they say we can now grow our product on American soil. And the crazy thing about this, let's say you and me had our own illegal marijuana operation in California and we get raided by the cops. Let's say we had 50,000 plants. Mm-hmm. We're going to get hit with a $500 misdemeanor ticket. So for these cartels, 
why would you not do this? Wow, yeah, you've taken the risk away. Right. Where's the downside? So we're seeing the policies enable this um, in California and also from the border. And like I said, the working class American citizens are stuck in the middle of these cartel wars in the desert here on, on American soil. And now we have labor trafficking in the United States. And in L.A. County, where we, we featured our documentary, there's over 500 legal girls. We also spent some time in the county next door, which is San Bernardino County. They have over a thousand. So just between... Two Jeez. counties in SoCal, we have close to 2,000 illegal marijuana operations. And this is not Cheech and Chong yeah. out there. These are criminal fractions that are bringing violence to these communities. The water theft is actually another big issue. So every day that these illegal marijuana girls are operating, between 3 million to 9.6 million water guns are being wasted. And for folks who live in California know yeah, yeah. that that water's everything because we're going through through a drought. So where I live in Palmdale, if I if I go past a certain gallon limit, I get, I get taxed and get billed heavier. So it's, a, it's an issue that we're really trying to alarm um, the American citizens, the politicians to say to do something about this already. Um, it's really confusing about how the, they expect these policies to work. I had a Michael Schellenberger on the other day. He wrote San Francisco mm -hmm. and he's talking about the policies in these big progressive cities, particularly as they go to drugs. You have people on the streets who are able to use them openly all the time. You have the, the, the punishments being turned down on cartels. Then you have situations like, you know, they're trying to take away your right to defend yourself with, with, with a firearm. All of these policies and the open border, all these policies work together to create complete chaos. I mean, how can they not see this happening or is it part of the plan? It seems like it's part of the plan. There's no urgency from the administration. Even when the, when the 12,000 Haitians came in late, late September, they released those 12,000 Haitians into the U.S. and they did not test them uh, for COVID-19. So that, that's the <laughs> yeah, funny yeah. part is we have first responders right now, um, you know, just regular workers like nurses getting fired for not taking the vaccine, yet we're letting illegals into the country who we know are, are testing positive for COVID. So when we were down there, we were interviewing these Haitians and I would ask them on camera and they were honest, which, which I'm thankful for. And I said, have you been tested for COVID-19 before being released? They said no. So we, we got a bunch of interviews. We put them out. We put pressure on the administration. And then the DHA Secretary Mayorkas came out a few days later and said, hey, you know those 12,000 Haitians we released? About 20% of them are testing positive for COVID. And it's like they're putting them on our buses and our planes with oh, other American God. citizens. So it's something that it's alarming. We're, 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 we're trying to get the information out there. Um, there's kind of a misconception that people that if they don't live near the border, that those issues don't affect them. But it's coming. It's the fentanyl. It's the cartels. It's the human smuggling, labor trafficking. And it's happening here on American soil. It's the COVID, too. I mean, it's yeah, all yeah, of yeah. it together. It's fascinating. When, when, the, when the Haitian thing was going on, I, I remember checking, and I think they were at 0.4% vaccination rate yep. for the entire country. So I, <laughs> I, we're, we're going to fire our first responders here for not wanting the vaccine, but we're going to import 12,000 people from a country with a 0.4% vaccination rate. Doesn't make much sense, but none of this none of this does. Tell people again where they can find the documentary. So right now, um, two ways to find it. The easiest way is just go on our on our website, carteldoc.com. We have our own website for. It. We're not doing the censorship with YouTube, so carteldoc.com. Mm. If you have struggle finding it, you could also just go on dailycaller.com. It's going to redirect you. But carteldoc.com, you can watch the trailer. So please send it out to you know family and friends, and then you get the full documentary right there. And I think it's going to open a lot of Americans' eyes when they see this issue. It's really important that people are aware of what's going on on the border because. For all that we know, and as bad as it's been, it's worse. Mm -hmm. It's worse. Uh, Jorge Fenduro is there to make sure you know about it. He's a field reporter for The Daily Caller. The new documentary is Cartelville, USA. You can watch it now at carteldoc.com. Head there now and uh, check it out. Or maybe right after the show is probably more appropriate. I should at least, I should at least say that, right? If, if, if I'm not telling you to watch the show, who's going to tell you, right? Jorge, thanks so much for coming on the hey, show. Hey, thank you so much.
So we're a couple weeks away from Thanksgiving, and you you know what you're going to do. You're going to have 4,500 calories in an hour. That's basically what's going to happen. You're going to blow up into a giant balloon. Now, there's a couple things you can do here. Number one, the next couple weeks, maybe you take it a little easy. Maybe you get some Built Bars uh, on hand. Built Bars are a great snack. They're, they can replace a meal. They're only 130 calories and four grams of sugar, tons of protein, low fiber. They've got great uh, flavors and 100% real chocolate. Uh, Built Bars are an option anytime you're hungry. Uh, if Thanksgiving you know, it's coming coming soon enough. You can do that. Maybe maybe pre-burn a little bit. Do a little do do some good work before Thanksgiving. Then you're not gonna have to worry about Thanksgiving. And then if you want to do maybe after like the uh, the turkey cranberry sandwich uh, the next day, instead of getting another piece of pie, have a Built Bar. They're delicious. They taste like candy bars, and they're actually good for you. They've got new limited time flavors arriving all the time. Go to built.com. Use the promo code Stew15 to save 15% off your first order. The promo code is Stew15 for 15% off at Built. Com. Americans uh, just are sick of politics. At least one poll is showing that now uh, from Axios. Uh, what are the most popular U.S. news topics? And they had a top 10 list. This is from a year ago, October 2020. Number one, of course, Donald Trump. Then two, coronavirus. Three, Biden. Four, George Floyd. Five, White House. Number six, football. Then seven, racism. Eight, Supreme Court. Nine, Amy Coney Barrett. And ten, Cowboys, which I like the fact that people were searching for the Cowboys last year, much more than this year. Uh, in October 21, however, a year later, number one is coronavirus, which is amazing. Number two is Trump. Trump is still, uh, he's not the president, guys. He's, uh, he's still number two. Number three, the NFL. Number four, football. Number five, ESPN. So like three sports in a row. Then Houston, the Houston Astros and Texans, but mostly the Astros, I assure you. Then the Capitol. Then Las Vegas with John Gruden and the Raiders and people, you know, getting in car accidents and waving guns around. And, and then vaccine is number nine in San Francisco uh, 49ers and Giants at number 10. It's amazing because you see the movement from, you know, normal news topics to more sports uh, topics, which I think is Maybe a little healthy. I think people are focusing too much on some of this stuff, honestly. I don't know that it helps. A lot of people are dumb. They don't know what they're talking about. So maybe these people should just read less about news and might make the people who actually pay attention to this stuff and their lives a little bit better. I don't know. Just an idea. I will say, however, there's another poll out. And, of course, we're in the middle of conservators uniting here. Uh, 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 Chartapalooza. I got a chart for you here um, from a Harris poll, and Harris has a poll out about cancel culture. And what I, you're going to find, I think, interesting about this is not this. It's not going to surprise you that people hate cancel culture. Of course they do. Nobody likes this. Everyone thinks it's stupid. Only the media thinks it's an actual uh, legitimate thing to happen to people. You make a, a joke that's a little bit off color or whatever, you get thrown out of your job. Nobody thinks that's a good idea. But it is surprisingly bipartisan. Uh, here are the here are the numbers. All voters, 71 to 29, think that cancel culture has gone too far uh, for the Republicans. 76 to 24 agree with that statement uh, with Democrats. It's 70 to 30. They agree as well. And independents, 68, 32. So I you know, this is not one of those things. I mean, I definitely am guilty at times of thinking of cancel culture as like a left wing thing only. Um, and, and that it is usually applied by the left. But I don't think the people on the left like it either. I think everyone realizes this is dumb. There are certain things in our society right now that fall into that category. You know, 947 genders and, um, you know, uh, critical race theory. 
telling kids that the most important thing about them is the color of their skin. I, I was mildly sure we were going the opposite direction on that one. Apparently not. Those types of things really connect with people. They say to themselves, wait a minute. I'm not thinking about this on partisan lines. I just won't want to vote for a person who is going to say no to that crap. And Glenn Youngkin found out what happens in an election that it, it isn't turned into some crazy partisan situation. People are voting on the actual merits of people's policies and their approach to something as fundamental as education. Glenn Youngkin won and, and won uh, in a surprising manner This in a blue state. This can happen. This is the type of issue that Republicans should be focusing on going into 2022. Because, yes, we hate it, but everybody hates this one. So we had a few extra trillion dollars spent over the weekend. No big deal. Just keep printing and printing and printing. Churn that cash until, ah, don't worry about it. And when all that stuff goes down and you complain about it, politicians, the elites say, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? You've got nowhere to go. This is America. You're going to stay here. Well, think about for, for an instance, an instant of talking about another place to go, maybe a place to retire, maybe a place to just vacation. I'll tell you where you might be interested in Panama. Panama is an interesting uh, climate right now because a lot of American retirees and veterans are going down there because, you know, you can live on 24 grand a year. Uh, you can pay 0% income tax. Your health care can be as little as $2,600 a year. Uh, and you can own luxury be beachfront condos in really nice areas on pristine white sand for less than $120,000. That is uh, not something you're going to find here in the United States. It's the world's number one wealth protection haven. And, you know, you know how important your taxes are, the rules around it. You need to understand all that. You need to do your own research. But it's something to check out. If you're thinking about something different, Check out The American's Guide to Living and Retiring in Panama from International Living. It's 100% free for our audience. Just go to buypanamanow.com slash stew. Get your copy today. Buypanamanow.com slash stew. You can sign up now and get your free series investing in Panama's Pacific Riviera today. It's buypanamanow.com slash stew. All right, you can follow the show. Go to my YouTube page, youtube.com slash America. Uh, you can go there, watch the show whenever you want, and you can comment below the show. Sometimes our guests even pop in the comments, as we saw yesterday. This episode brings a whole new meaning to Conservanerds Unite. It's true. We're a little nerdy here. But Stephen Kent, our guest yesterday, says, hell yeah, we love our Conservanerds. Thanks for popping in there. This one also comes uh, from uh, YouTube. Uh, the here's why is the most important part of the show. Make the argument, then back it up. You do a great job of that, and I appreciate it. I do appreciate you uh, watching and uh, noticing that. We do try to at least give you some information, not just say stupid stuff all the time, though that's certainly the, the majority of the show. By the way, you can listen as well on podcast, uh, rate and review the podcast as well as subscribe. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. This one comes out, uh, whatever. I feel about the show, I, I feel about the show like Glenn Beck when he's on. It's fine, whatever. I just hope my five star review of the show specifically hurts Jeffy's podcast. Keep it up, Stu. It's true. Every single five-star review not only hurts Jeffy's podcast, but we have a device hooked up to Jeffy, and it electrifies him and actually physically injures him every time you click that fifth star. So it's great outcomes for all on this one. Help keep this show on the air. Subscribe. BlazeTV.com slash Stu. Promo code is Stu. We'll save you 10 bucks. And go to StuDoesMerch.com. Get all your merchandise for Christmas. 
help all of your fellow conservatives at stewdoesmerch.com.